Anybody heard of the uh, term FOMO? Is anybody aware of this? Okay, I'm going to bring you into uh, younger generation. It stands for fear of missing out. Anybody? Anybody a FOMO? Anybody? I know this about me. I love to be invited everywhere. I don't want to go, right? But I want to be invited. I want to say no. Anybody here want to say no? Like you ever, you, everybody gets together and you're like, why didn't they invite us, honey? You know, it's FOMO, fear of missing out. And so there's, there's times where in life you go, I want to be invited everywhere. I want to do everything. And, and not necessarily that I want to go, but I want the right to say, oh, I'm sorry, we can't make it. But wasn't it nice to be invited? And there's this tendency inside all of us to want to never miss out on anything, to be a part of everything. I uh, am a part of a, um, a, a church planting uh, team that helps with, with national church planting for the Christian Missionary Alliance. And we were at a big conference in Tampa, and we were doing a bunch of stuff, and, and everybody was talking about getting together the next morning, and I was doing something else while they were talking, and they kind of just said, does that work? We should meet tomorrow. I'm like, yeah, 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 let's do it. So the next morning, I get up, I get coffee, and they're all sitting on this table already meeting. And I walk in, and FOMO. I mean, like, you wouldn't believe. I'm like, why didn't they tell me? I'm part of the team. Anybody ever been there? And I'm just, so I go, and I sit down at my table, and I'm drinking my coffee, and I'm looking at them, and they're looking at me, and they're all looking at me, and I'm looking at them, and I'm like, quit looking at me. If you're not going to invite me, don't look at me. But then I keep looking because I have FOMO, and they're looking at me, and everything's real awkward. And then after the meeting, they come over and say, why didn't you come to the meeting? And I said, well, why didn't you invite me? They said, yesterday we agreed to meet here at 8, and you said yes. You were just so distracted by whatever you were doing, you said yes and didn't even realize we were meeting. So the whole time we're looking at you wondering why you won't come sit with us, and I'm staring at them wondering why they won't invite me. Many times we miss out on wonderful, amazing opportunities because we're not paying attention. And this is what I believe. I believe that God has a wild, wonderful, audacious plan for your life. I want you to hear that. I don't believe for one second that God made you to fill up time and space. I don't believe God made you just to to be a, a piece of mass that fills up space for a certain period of time and then it's over. I believe God has a wild, audacious plan for your life, something that is outside of the box, something that is abnormal. But I believe many of us in this room miss out on that wild, audacious plan because we are not spiritually paying attention to the things that God is saying in our lives. Can I get an amen? We're going to talk today a little bit. Amen. And so many of us sit there and go, God, I I have spiritual FOMO. I feel like I'm missing out on things that that you want to do. I feel like you're not doing things in my life. I feel like you're not bringing me into things. I feel like my spiritual life is boring and stagnant, etc. And I believe that that has nothing to do with God. Because we serve a God of, of limitless imagination, limitless ingenuity, limitless possibility. God is not a God of limitations. God is waiting for people who are available to get used by a wild, audacious God. Amen? The problem is, we miss out. My dad told me that I was preaching on Proverbs 11.30. The fruit of the righteousness is the tree of life. 
and the one who is wise uh, saves lives. Okay, now we've preached on that. We can get on to the message. I told him I'd read it. Now let's get back to where we were. Amen? I know he'd get a kick out of that. Uh, the one who is wise saves lives. The one who is wise saves lives. When we were growing up, my dad pastored a church in uh, Colorado, and there was a big open field uh, behind the church. And uh, we lived in Colorado, so me and my brother both had uh, four-wheel drive vehicles and lift kits and, you know, all that kind of fun stuff. And so uh, dad said, hey, don't ever drive back in the field. That's the church's property. I don't want anything to happen. Uh, don't go ripping and roaring through there. Yeah, yeah, no problem, dad. We went and ripped and roared. And so we went there one day, my brother and I, and we're ripping and roaring through the field. And my brother says, hey, let's switch vehicles. So I jump in his truck. He jumps in my Jeep. And next thing you know, he flags me down. He's like, dude, you've got to get in. I found this jump. Jump. Okay, these are vehicles. This is not a mountain bike. This is a, a, a vehicle. And so we get in, and, and next thing you know, he's, mm, 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 and I just see this, this lip, but I don't see anything beyond it. We hit this lip in my Jeep, fly up. Jeep goes straight in the ground. The front of the Jeep bends up. The motor mount snaps, goes through the oil. I mean, the whole thing's a mess. The, I mean, the, 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 my Jeep literally bent up. The, the engine is just dragging, and, and we're driving. So we get up to the top of the hill. The, the, the field is destroyed. Like, if you were to look at it, there's mud everywhere. The church parking lot's full of mud. What are we going to do? Jeremy, what are we going to do? Okay. We, and, and this is brilliant high school thinking. Anybody have high schoolers, you know this is about to be brilliant. And so we're like, okay, we're driving home. And whenever you need to get out of a problem, there has to be a dog in the story. Do you know what I'm saying? So we're driving home and a dog jumped out of the road. We swerved out of the way and, 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 and went in and, and, and messed the Jeep up. And then we drove back to the church and called you dad. Dad. Yeah. First off, I want you to know we're okay. Let's start there. All right. A dog, second of all, a dog jumped out in the road. We're okay, though, and the dog's okay. Everyone's okay. The Jeep's a little messed up, Dad. We're going to need you to come get us. So we're sitting in this parking lot. There's mud all over the parking lot. I mean, you can just imagine. The whole field is right there, and it's shredded to pieces. Dad drives up, mud all over the place, looks out in the field, surveys the field surveys the parking lot, surveys us. And he says, I want you to know that I love you and I care about you. And the reasons I tell you not to do things is because I love you. Let's go home. Now, just so you understand, my dad had beaten us, spanked us, mauled us, done terrible things to us before. So don't think like he's such a soft-handed guy. But in this moment... I want to make it, wow, Phil did no, Phil beat, <laughs> Phil beat. No, wow, he didn't spank, oh no, he didn't spank, mm he beat. But in this moment, he just simply fathered with a word. I want to save your life. That's what I'm after. I'm after being there at your wedding. I'm, I want, I'm after being there at that moment when you bring life into this world. And scripture says, he who is wise saves lives. Peter, if you have your Bibles, you can open up 
to the book of Second Peter. Peter is writing to this group of Gentiles, and this group of Gentiles is at, is at a very curious place in their lives. They've said yes to Jesus Christ, and they're followers of Christ, but there's really two competing things coming at them. On one hand, uh, there's, uh, there's society, and society says, we're going to kill you because you are following Christ. We are coming at you. And then there's, there's Jewish believers that are saying to them, your faith is null, your faith is weak because you need Jesus and Judaism. It's not enough for what you have. And so these Jewish believers are, are in tension and they're frustrated and, and they're wondering, is our faith really worth it? They're wondering, does God really have an audacious plan for our life? And so through the book of First and Second Peter, Peter begins to write with great sage wisdom. Peter He's probably at the age of 60, and he's writing to this church, and he's telling them everything that he has learned. And and really, this message today is about this. Don't miss out on the amazing things that God's trying to do in your life. Understand what God's trying to do. He who is wise saves lives. God wants to do something great in your life, but it's going to take wisdom and understanding about who Christ is, your identity in Christ, and exactly what Christ is trying to do in and through your life. See, here's the thing. God is not just trying to keep you out of hell. Amen? That's, that's, that's like the perk. That's like the perk The goal, the the journey of our spiritual life is not the avoidance of hell. The the goal and the journey of our life is full freedom and life and vibrancy in Christ. Somebody. That's what it's after. And so Peter's going to write 2 Peter 1 verse 3. 2 Peter 1 verse 3. Just say when. That means like you got it. Just say when. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Through our knowledge of him. Everybody say through. Everybody say through. We need uh, everything we need for God. Like through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So Peter's going to start off and he's going to say this. His divine power, God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Anybody here ever feel like it's difficult to really live a godly life? Anybody outside of me? find that difficult. And so Peter says this, look, living a godly life is going to be difficult, but here's what he says. His divine power has given us everything we need. Watch this. Through the knowledge of him. That word knowledge in the Greek means this uh, on an account of. In other words, Peter says this, when you begin to consider, when you begin to think about, and you give an account of all Christ has done, when you begin to have knowledge of all that Christ has done, when that knowledge begins to get seared in your mind and in your heart, it begins to transfer into the empowerment to live a godly life. Peter says the starting place of living a vibrant life in Christ. The the starting place is the knowledge of what Christ has done for you. Meeting with a guy this week, he was a a Navy SEAL for 11 years, and um, we had nothing in common. Just said, I was like, what do you want to talk about? Um, I avoid danger. Um, And so we were sitting there talking. He goes, you know, I just, I don't feel like, you know, God loves me. I don't feel like, I feel so, so much tension in my spiritual life. I, so, I feel so discouraged. I'm not doing my devotion time. I'm not in church. I'm, I'm not living a godly life. I said, James, you know what the problem with your theology is, with, with Christ, is that you're trying to get more acceptance from Jesus. 
You're trying to get more acceptance. You're hoping if you do your devotions and you live a godly life and you listen to Christian radio and, you, and you're in a small group, and you, that maybe Jesus will accept you more and approve of you more. It is impossible for you to get more accepted. Now, what you can experience is more joy in Christ. You can't get any more accepted in Christ. But what happens is when we begin to understand who Christ is, we begin to understand the knowledge of what Christ has done for us, we can begin to live in, in, in expedient joy. And so what happens is Peter starts off and he says this, you've got to have good theology of who Christ is. You cannot get more accepted, but as you begin to understand the account of who Christ is, you will begin to live in joy in Christ, and it's in that moment that his divine power begins to give us everything we need for a godly life. As we understand Christ, we get empowered for a godly life. That's why scripture says in Hosea 6, 6, for I desire mercy, not a sacrifice. And watch this, an acknowledgement of God rather than a burnt offering. You know what God's really after? Not a burnt offering. God's not after, oh God, I'm so sorry. Oh God, if I give a little more money. Oh God, if I volunteer a little bit more. You know what God's really after? He's really after you fully grasping him. Because when you fully grasp him, you completely let go of your grasp of everything else. Someone should write that down or tweet that. That was good. That was a good word. When we fully grasp him, man, we can release that grasp on everything else. That's why what God is after from Old Testament to New Testament is, I'm not that interested in what you can do. I'm interested in you in fully grasping what I've already done. Because when you do, you are released. And only then are you released for the vibrant Christian life. Verse 4. This just gets better and better and better. How many of you love God's word? Say amen. All right, verse 4. Through these, remember the acknowledgement of God, through the acknowledgement of God, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promise so that through them, watch this, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil. Peter says this, when you begin to get a knowledge of who Christ is and what he's done for you, from there, first, you, you get almost, you graduate to the next level of, oh my gosh, I understand God. Now what? Here's now what. You ready? You now get to participate in a divine nature. How many of you in the room know that you have a human nature? How many of you have ever been on the 91 at any point in time during the day or night and you realize I have a divine nature? It is, what, I hate that road. My dad's like, do you think you'd ever move up here? I was like, I would never move here simply because of the 91. That is a God-forsaken highway. I'm irritated just thinking about the night. I got to stop for a minute. I'm getting all worked up. We know we've got this human nature. And it's selfish, and it's ugly, and it's self-centered, and it's arrogant, and it's insecure, and it's comparing, and it's all sorts of nastiness. And what Peter says is, is when you begin to understand, uh, what, when you give an account for what Jesus has done for you when, you, when you grasp who Jesus is, then it's at that moment, Scripture says, that through them you may participate in the divine nature. So what's the divine nature? Romans 1 verse 20. I love this. For since the creation of the world, listen to this, God's invisible qualities, 
His, uh, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So that people are without an excuse. Now let me explain this. Peter says this, when you understand Jesus and you can give an account for what he's done in your life, what is, you begin to get released to live in a divine nature. And when you live in a divine nature, here's what's different between a divine nature and a self nature. A divine nature is finally able to recognize mentally, emotionally, and spiritually the difference between what God does and what man does. In other words, when we're in our human nature, we pursue the things of this world. We pursue the things that are made. Anybody? You know, we, we pursue that, those, those new clothes, that new house, that new job, that new vacation, uh, that new fill in the blank. We pursue the things that are made, but God's word says, I love this, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. God did all these things so that we could see there is a difference between the hand of God and the hand of man. And Peter says that when you begin to understand God, you begin to live in a divine nature. And a divine nature means that you begin to walk, you begin to breathe, you begin to think, and you can begin to see the difference between what, that is, what was made and is perishable versus what that was made by the hand of God is eternal. And your motivating factor no longer is motivated by what is perishable, but you begin to get motivated by what is imperishable. Uh, my buddy, my best friend, is his kid turns one today. And we were, we were hanging out yesterday at the park, and his wife said, hey, I, I got Colton his first birthday uh, cupcake. We're like, oh, it's so sweet. You know, you did, oh. And she said, It's vegan. And, and my buddy, he said, excuse, what? Excuse me? It's, it's vegan. Isn't that cool? That's not cool. <laughs> I know we're trying to be all trendy and cool and earthy and, you know, farm to table and all that kind of, that's not cool. A one-year-old should taste the beauty of sugar and eggs, and all sorts of bad stuff. And so my, thank you, thank you, yes. So my buddy said, hold on, did you buy it yet? Why, I was going to get it today. We are not, we're not that. This right here, this is being able understood from what has been made so that there's no excuse. He said, we're not going down this road of what's cool and what's trendy. We're getting to the stuff that lasts forever. You know what the thing is? This is the thing. A lot of us, we start to pursue the latest stuff. That's our human nature. We pursue it, whether it's a vegan cupcake or whether it's the next pair of jeans or whether it's the new housing development that's being built. We pursue these things. And you know what God's word says in Romans? Uh, Paul said this. God did this really cool thing. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you invisible qualities, eternal power, and divine nature so that there'll be something instinctually in you that can separate the difference. And so when Peter's writing to the Gentiles, he says this, when you begin to acknowledge Christ, really acknowledge what Christ has done for you, you will be invited in to live in a divine nature, a totally new way of living. Your eyes will be open to things that will not be destroyed. And all of a sudden, you'll begin to see people and things and resources and opportunities like you never saw before. Years ago, um, I was at a 
uh, fundraiser, and Ken Blanchard, I don't know if any of you have ever read the book One Minute Manager, he was speaking at it. He said, every morning I wake up, and I have the same prayer. I've said the same prayer for 30 years now, and people might think I'm boring, but every day it's the same one. Good morning, God. What are you up to today, and how can I help? I heard that when I was 26 years old, and I haven't missed one day praying that. Every morning I wake up, and the first thing, I, I get in my car, and I, you know, depending if it's below 60, I turn my heat seaters on, and I get in my car, and I say, good morning, God. What are you doing today? What is divine today? What will not perish? What will not spoil? What will not fade? What are you doing? And how can I help? God, I have such an acknowledgement that there is something so different about you than what I do. There is a wisdom in God. Verse 5, 2 Peter verse 5. For this very reason, what reason? Okay, so, so Peter's building on his letter here, right? He says, first thing, you've got to acknowledge Jesus. Not just Jesus is Lord, but all that Jesus has done. Give an account for Jesus. And when you do, you'll be brought into this divine nature, living for things that will not spoil and will not fade and will not perish. It's a divine nature versus a human nature for that very reason. For the reason of living fully in a divine nature, make every effort to add to your faith. Now, this is really strange if you understand the context because the Jewish believers are constantly telling the Gentile believers, you have to add to your faith. It's, it's Jesus and. And so all of a sudden, Peter writes that you need to add to your faith. And it's like, wait, what are you talking about? Well, look what he says. Make, for this reason, the divine nature, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and perseverance, godliness, and godliness, mutual affection, and mutual affection, love. And I love this because Peter says this, okay, here's the thing. If you're going to live in the divine nature, if you're going to live in the divine nature, there's some things you've got to add to your faith. See, a lot of us, we, we get to this place where we're like, okay, I'm not going to hell. Mission accomplished. Now let's go to church. Let's do some worship. And Peter says this, it's, it's not enough to be neutral. Let me ask you a personal question this morning. Are you neutral in your faith? No, of course not. Not me. I read Jesus calling this morning. No, but have you heard from the Lord? Have you risked something I love what some of the things he read. First off, he says this, add goodness, which in the Greek means moral excellence. How's your moral life doing? It's probably not perfect. If it is, you're lying. So there we go. So all of us in this room got to grow in that. And then he says this knowledge, and I love this. Knowledge means the doctrine of wisdom. He says, grow in your moral excellence, grow in your doctrine of wisdom. Self-control means diligence. Be diligent. 
Peter's saying these things. I mean, yes, you are, you are saved from separation in Christ now so that you stay in the divine nature. Continue to mature in your moral excellence. Continue to mature in your doctrine of understanding and wisdom. Continue to mature in your diligence. Have maturation in your life. And I love what he says because for if you possess these qualities, watch what he says, an increasing measure. Everybody say increasing measure. I love this. He's writing, he's, he's, he's just being wisdom to this church right now, these, these believers. He says this, it starts off with every day just giving an account on, oh, Jesus, this is who you are. And then when you, when you give an account for who Jesus is, you get sucked into the divine nature. You get sucked out of that human gross nature that everyone in this room can relate to. How many of you in this room can get nasty? How many in this room can get selfish? How many in this room can get insecure? Come on now. We are an ugly bunch, amen? We're a pretty bunch. We're an ugly bunch, amen? You know what the thing is? A lot of us, we don't ever want to go there. We don't ever want to go to our humanity. Who does? It's unattractive. I don't like to go to my insecurity. I don't like to go to my fear. I don't like to go to my jealousy. I don't like to go to my pride. And Peter says this, when you begin to acknowledge who Jesus is, you get sucked out of that life, sucked out of that human nature, sucked right into a divine nature. And then he says this, but if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, you know what I think one of the things we need to hear this morning is? We need to increase in our spiritual lives. We need to increase We need to increase in our moral excellence. We need to increase in our doctrine of wisdom. We need to increase in our diligence. He says this, uh, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, and this is where it gets so good, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. Let me ask you a question. We all understand working definitions of ineffective and unproductive, right? We don't need definitions of those. We know what that means. How are you, how effective are you for the kingdom of God? How effective are you for the kingdom of God? That's the question. Because here's what Peter's saying. Peter's writing to this group of Gentiles and he's going, I know you're struggling. I know you're frustrated. I know you have tension. Society is trying to kill you. Jewish believers are telling you your faith is weak. You're wondering, is this even worth it? You're getting angry. You're getting frustrated. So let me give you some sage wisdom. Acknowledge Jesus. Get sucked into divine nature. Make sure that you're increasing in these qualities so that. Like, have you ever noticed when morally you're off? how unproductive and ineffective you feel for God? Like when you know you got junk in your life, it's not exactly for most of us not we're like, hey God, use me. You know what I'm saying? We avoid. Man, I, 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 gotta, I gotta deal with this. Or, or have you ever felt like, um, I mean, I can't share my faith because What if somebody asked me a question? (laughs) 
hey, man, I'd love you to go to church. That's great. Do you, can you talk to me a little about the afterlife? Man, I was, I'm not actually not a Christian. I was lying. I'm sorry. Right? Like, we don't even want to get in there because we're like, I don't even, I don't have a doctrine of wisdom with, with, God, with God's word. I don't know how to give a response. And we're unproductive. Or one of the great ones is the diligence one. And, and the enemy preys on these things. And I know Peter knows this because he was, he, he was being inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. And we know that the enemy preys on these things, right? Like, like when we're morally off, don't we hear the enemy saying, God doesn't want to hear from you right now. You're dark, you're gross, you're ugly. He doesn't want to hear from you. And we're like, oh man, next thing you know, we're unproductive and ineffective. Or we're like, man, I don't know all the answers in, in the Bible. And the enemy goes, then you better not even whisper that you go to church. Because what if somebody asks you a question? Or the diligence one. Man, I really want to really do something for the church. <laughs> you? Why don't you just take care of yourself before you start to think of someone else? And the enemy preys on these things. That's why Peter is saying, here's the thing. He's, he's saying, if, if you're going to be productive and you're going to be effective for the kingdom of God, have these qualities in increasing measure. Make them a part of your spiritual discipline life. I don't know about you, but I think one of the most uh, underrated things is the spiritual disciplines. Gosh, the enemy of this world knows how effective and productive we will be when we get spiritually disciplined. Peter knew it too. That's why he's writing. And that's why the, the book of Proverbs said this, he who is wise, do you know what wisdom is? Let's just stop. He who is wise, here's wise, ready? Wise is this, getting up in the morning going, Jesus, I'm gonna acknowledge who you are. You're not just the savior of my sin, uh, sins. Uh, you, you, are the, you are the word of God. You are there at the creation. You are an atonement for me. You are the bread of life. You are wisdom and discernment and understanding. And, and, and God's word says that when we acknowledge him, we get sucked out of that, 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 that selfish uh, lifestyle into a divine nature. And when we're in a divine nature, all of a sudden we can see for the first time again that day the difference between what is made and what is uh, not made. The, the difference between what is perishable and what is imperishable. Do you ever feel like you wake up and the only thing you see is your agenda? Anybody? I do. You wake up and you're like, what do I got to do today? What is everyone else doing? What's the next big thing? What's the next deal? What's the next party? What's the next event? What's the, what's the next? What's the next? And you wake up only seeing the perishable. Do you know why that is? Because we live with a lack of wisdom. And Peter says, acknowledge Jesus and you'll get sucked into the divine nature where you can see the difference between what is perishable and is imperishable. And then when you get to there, start to add to your faith. Start to add to your faith. That's wise. It's wise to wake up in the morning and check yourself morally. How am I doing? And if you're struggling, just confess it and then give it over to the Lord. Amen. And then the next thing you do is say, I need to increase in my doctrine of understanding. Is there anything I don't know? How many of you have heard of the World Wide Web? Isn't it great? Google? You know, you can Google some of that stuff you don't know, and you can grow in your understanding. And then be diligent. 
Be diligent with your spiritual life. Stay after it. God's word says this, but whoever does not have them, this is, this is interesting, I like this, but whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting what they've been cleansed from, from their past sins. It's funny when I think back to that story with my brother and I in, in the Jeep and the truck. That was a nearsighted, blind move. You know, when you're 16, 17 years old, time's forever. You can't die. Life's forever. Right? You're invincible. You don't live in reality, really. And so you do things like you get in a Jeep and you go 35 miles an hour and you jump off an eight-foot jump. You destroy your Jeep and you actually think telling your dad a dog jumped out in the street is going to go over. You know, you hear a story like that, and you're like, you guys are stupid. Yes. But then you wonder, is that just a picture of how a lot of us live recklessly in our own spiritual lives? Is that story just as reckless as our own spiritual lives? Are we living like time is of no value? Are we living like we'll live forever and more opportunities will come? And as I make more money, I'll finally start to give. And as I have more time, I'll finally start to serve. Is it possible that for a lot of us in this room, spiritually speaking, we're 16 years old, behind a Jeep, going 35 miles an hour towards an eight-foot jump. Is that possible? Because really, that's what Peter was writing to the church. He said, hey, guys, first of all, I know it's frustrating. I know it's hard. I know it's not always uh, first nature. And that's why we have to use wisdom. That's why we acknowledge who Jesus is. So that we can remove ourselves from viewing the world as perishable and see the imperishable. And really live a divine nature life. And then we begin to add to our faith stuff that lasts. A moral life and a doctrine of wisdom and diligence and goodness. So that. When we look at our bank account and we look at our time and we look at the people we work with, we see a divine perspective. We see a divine perspective. I'll tell you one story about me personally because I'm going to make good on it on Tuesday, and so it's kind of fun. So every day I really do get up and I just go, God, what are you doing? How can I help? And um, In addition to Pastor Night, own a couple software companies. And so one of the things that I do is on all my quarterly profit sharing, I, I always say, God, how can I reinvest this money in the kingdom? And I was in Atlanta a few months back and this guy got up and, um, man, there's never enough time. Oh, gosh. Um, 
this guy got up and, and pitched this really neat thing that they do in Atlanta where they, um, it's on social innovation. We don't have time to get into it, but I, it was the worst money pitch I've ever heard in my life. It was horrible. Like, I mean, it was terrible. And I was sitting there and the spirit of God was like, give him money. And so I got done and, and my business partner and I were there and he goes, that was the worst pitch I'd ever heard. No one's going to give him a dollar. And I'm like, shoot, man, I, I'm 100% sure God told me to give money to him. And you know what I think in that moment the difference was? He's a very godly man, my, my business partner, but I think the difference was he was viewing the world through perishable, through a human nature, and I had just kind of walked in there and said, God, I want divine eyes. And so we saw that totally different. We were in agreement. It was terrible. But we saw it differently. And I wonder this. I wonder how different you would view everything in your life. I wonder how different I would view everything in my life if it was being viewed through the divine nature. Through the divine nature and not the human nature. Amen. I want you to know this. Would you stand with me as the band comes? Do we have time for a song or not? Yeah? Thumbs up? I can't really see anything. Just come if you can. <laughs> this is what I'm, I want to pray for us this morning is, is just this, that bow your heads and close your eyes with me. And um, I know you are. Is, would it be too hard to do that Furious song? Are you guys that good that you can do that? Okay. I just love that song, and I think it fits in with where we're going, yeah? So let me say this. Let me say this. Let me say this. We serve a furious God. Somebody say it again, amen. We serve a furious God, a passionate, driven, aggressive God. And if you're not experiencing a passionate, aggressive, driven, bold, gutsy God, that's your fault. That's a human nature perspective. So I want to sing this song as a testimony to our God. And as we sing it, would you pray in your heart, God, reveal the furious God to me. Reveal the, the divine nature. Show me what is imperishable. Show me what is so much more rich and so much more life than anything I could ever see. Amen? Let's sing something out to the furious God we serve and just know that there is a divine world waiting for us. Amen? Amen. I want to, let's do some singing today.